Praise God. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And in these four short chapters, we have a unique church. And we'll see why. The church at Philippi was right there across from the Grecian islands by the Aegean Sea. And it was the first church in Europe that Paul and Silas preached to. And they converted from idolatry to Jesus Christ. So they just came up in the midst of the whole world doing their own thing in pagan idolatry, in immorality, just like the other cities, just like today in the world. So they had all of this going on. And here comes Paul and Silas and says, Jesus Christ died for you. He loves you. There's a heaven. There's a place for you with Christ. And he wants to transform your life if you surrender to him. And they heard it. And because the Spirit of God was behind the apostles, it pierced their hearts. It stood out as a different message than the other messages of the other gods and religions that they were so used to. And in this city of Philippi, a church was born. Brand new babies were born into the kingdom of God. How? Through the word that was spoken. It imparted life and all of a sudden their eyes opened and they were able to see Jesus Christ is the living God. They didn't go to school for years to study this. They didn't go to a religious institution to be part of a convent or some kind of monastery or go to the desert or to the mountains in Tibet or somewhere. You know, I want to be one with this force. I want to be one with the universe and the cosmic realities that I don't know. So you know what? I will leave materialism and the material world behind to try to ascend up to God. And people have this notion that if you climb up physically on a mountain, you're getting closer to God. But how many of us know it's usually the opposite? Usually people who go up there to be somewhere and get in a lotus position and meditate, they're missing the whole point. Because Jesus Christ didn't come to the highest mountain and tell people, come up to where I'm at. He came right into our mess. Amen? He's a real Savior. He came right into the midst of our spiritual poverty, our diseases, our anger, our bitterness, our jealousies, all the sin. And He said, I can save you from all of that. It seemed to be too good to be true. This is what the Lord promised. Let's go right to Philippians chapter 1. So this is the message that they heard. They heard this word from God. Something happened. Those who were well known in the city, to those who were practically on the streets, through the entire population, people who said, I believe in this word, they got born again. And when they got born again, they all gathered together to meet, to worship this new God, new to them, but He is the true God from everlasting to everlasting. And they started to pray together and they started to read the apostles' letters and they started to love each other and they began to be self-sacrificial. You know what happened as a result of that? They were unified So that when Paul was in prison, guess which church out of all the churches that came up gave most sacrificially? Philippi. The Philippian church and that too, the church that was typically among the poorest classes. They were not well to do. But they were so touched by God's spirit and his love that they began to be very loving toward one another 
And then they were able to gather together and say, let's have one mind, one purpose. We have to help the apostle. And they sent a messenger. And Paul noted that. Paul was very, very spiritually and emotionally connected to this church, unlike other churches. He loved them all. But this church, by their warmth of love and spontaneous generosity, showed him that their love is very strong for the Lord, for each other, and for me. And so this letter has a different tone than the other epistles. It doesn't really read like a a message with fine points, kind of like a sermon, like other epistles. It's more like Paul saying, here's my heart-to-heart communication to you. God has put this Philippi, Philippian church, to show all of us who are not so rich, who are not so large in numbers, but there's something far more precious than external riches and masses of people gathering together. It's a heart of humility, generosity, and love. That's priceless in the heart of God, in the eyesight of God. And so as we look at this epistle, we ought to be asking, Lord, I can learn about Philippi, I can learn about Paul, I can learn about the times in which it warranted them to step up and help the apostle while he was in prison. But Lord, I'm part of an army over here. It's a small army numerically, but it has the potential to be a very powerful army, not just because God has endowed His grace upon us, but because we're making use of the grace to say, Lord, more and more of this grace has to transform my nature to stop being about me and be about my brother and my sister and their needs. And Lord... I can see furthermore that you are calling us to be so tightly knit together in love. One purpose, to rally together behind your banner, your cross, to get the work of God done. That unity is so powerful. Now, in spite of the overall message to Philippi, there were some schisms here and there, and Paul had to address that. Let's go to verse 1 in Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the sanctified or the holy ones in Christ, Jesus, who are at this pagan city, Philippi. In that pagan place, God has marked out those who belong to Him. He knows who belongs to Him. You know why? Because He has washed them in His blood. It's very precious. All of us are so precious to God. With the bishops and deacons, those who he set up to be overseers. Let's go to the next verse. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's typical greeting, right? He wants to impart God's grace, his free favor, his love. The next verse, please. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Imagine how the apostle felt. He said, even though I'm in prison and I have a big challenge, a big mountain in front of me, when I think about you, I'm so grateful to God because of the powerful work of God that's been accomplished in your lives. It gives me great joy. It just overshadows and takes over my atmosphere with this dungy, dungeon prison, dungeon or dingy prison, uh, there's a portion in which he was in a house, house arrest. Wasn't so bad, but he also had the other kind of prison. But Paul is overwhelmed with this joy. And we read further, Philippians 1.4, Always in every prayer of mine, praying to God, Lord, I want something from you. Making request. I have a request, God, for you. 
Philippians with all joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. That's very important to note. A lot of times we can read letters like these, these epistles and say, oh, so he got, they got born again. They are experiencing a new life. Paul's happy. But notice the apostle zeroes in on their character. They know that the gospel costs that these people have really chosen to be loyal to Jesus and to the gospel message. And what do you suppose will happen when somebody is really loyal to Jesus and the gospel? They're going to be persecuted. The devil is going to be against them and he's going to raise the people against them. So, it's all the more precious. It's not that they decided, you know what? We're going to join you on your next mission trip and we're going to have a hotel over here. We're going to go sightseeing over there. They're going to preach in the evening crusade over there, have a nice dinner and then sleep well. And the next day we're going to preach again. Where were the Apostle Paul? No, it meant beating, confiscation of their property, ridiculed, scorned, put to an open shame, and sometimes even killed. So when Paul says that your fellowship in the gospel, he's talking about the good news, the message of God. And he says, you are not just those who grab grace and say, thank you, Paul. Would you preach again to us? We feel great. And would you please bless my business? Would you lay hands on my family so we can all prosper? They got that. But they understood. To be one with Christ is to say, I'm willing to deny myself and take up my cross. Which means suffering for Jesus and the message of Jesus. And follow, keep on following God. Let's go to the next verse. He says, from the first day until now. That's another important thing to note. Some people, when they start out, they'll be discouraged. They'll say, I don't want a part of this kind of life. I like the blessings, but not the persecution and suffering. And the desire is to let somebody else take the heat. I don't want to put myself in a place of what? Risk. But when we love God, We're willing to take risks to glorify Him. So they started from day one. It's a very, very uh, important thing to know. They didn't wait a couple of months or a couple of years. From the very first day they knew, this God and this gospel takes first place in our lives, in our homes, in our community of Christians, in our city. And they had suffering because of that. And here's the verse that the Lord told me to preach on. Being confident of this very thing. What thing? This thing. That what he started in you, he will complete. Why do you suppose Paul was saying this to them? Well, just like us, we have giants, we have illnesses, we have persecutions, we have financial difficulties, we have all these things coming against us. So do they, on a much heightened level for sure. Some of them were giving their lives for Christ. But you know what? In the midst of that, God gives encouragement to them and to us. He's saying, I expect you to do certain things, but don't get discouraged. I will help you to do what I told you to do. And I promise you, the Eternal life that has begun in your heart, I will complete it until the day that I come back. Isn't that a mighty promise? When you're going through affliction and persecution and pain and loss and shame, all because you're doing the right thing, you can get discouraged. You can feel, Lord, I almost can't take it anymore. Every day of the week I'm being ridiculed and mocked. They're pelting my door with stones. They're slandering me all over town. I can't even get a job. Some of that actually happens today in some places in the world. All because somebody said, I've decided to become one 
with Jesus Christ and his message, I'm not going back. And so what does the devil do? He steps up the heat. And his objective is, if I can raise the heat more and more and make you feel so discouraged, you will just say, I can't take it anymore. I want to go back. I want to go back. Back where? Away from the Lord. Back to my own way of doing things. But this is where God's word comes. He says, don't, don't get discouraged. Even when it's hard, remember what I'm telling you. What I've begun in you, I promise to finish it until it's complete. Hallelujah. What a great promise that we can truly trust God that God will never let me go. We can opt to let go of God. But he has promised I will never initiate that. Never. And so these people are so attracted to the gospel even though it costs everything because of the unfading promise. Let's go to the next verse. Just as it is right for me to think this of you because I have you in my heart. Now he spells out what it means to really be one with Jesus and the message. See if you can see yourself in this. After all, we can read this, but if it doesn't impact us personally today, then we might as well have not even read it or heard it together. He says, you Philippians, you're among the poorer classes in Europe. And you're a small group of believers. Your heart is very large. You're full of love for God, His people, the message that brings persecution. And for me, don't get discouraged. God has begun something in you. I promise you, He will never abandon you. He will finish what He started. Take courage. Keep going. That's the message. Keep going in the right direction. Don't stop. Now He spells it out. See, we can take this in a generic way. Okay, so I have a a little more insight. So Paul not only commended them because they were so generous, but he said, you have fellowship, partnership with me in the gospel, which brings what? Persecution from those who don't want it. The message of love. So I have a clue. Okay, so Paul says that he really thanks God for remembering them every time God brings it to his mind, he prays. But... That's because they have this fellowship with the gospel. Here he spells it out. What is it? What is it? Because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, or in the gospel, of the gospel, and you all are, you should highlight this or underline it in your Bibles if you can, are partakers with me of grace. What is the grace connected to? Is it just free favor, a blessing? No. The grace channel, if you will, the channel of grace that comes from heaven becomes bigger and bigger and the flow becomes stronger and stronger when we do what? Stand up for the truth of Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, nothing's going to take me away from you and your gospel message. And I'm willing to suffer Whatever you see fit, just like my Lord, so that the glory of God may be seen through my weakness and whatever I need to let go of so other people can live. That partnership has to do with laying down my life so somebody else can live. It's very powerful. So this is what he means. This partnership is talking about, they know exactly about his chains. They know about how he has to be defending himself. Even though he was innocent, he has to stand before kings and governors and soldiers and all these people. And he's got to keep on telling them, I'm in bonds today, I'm in chains, not because I did anything wrong, but because I'm telling people about the message of God's love. But it doesn't move me because I know where I'm going. It's almost as if Paul... When he's on trial, he says to even the king, Agrippa, and the governor, Felix, I know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? And they seem to have it all. But with all that pomp, they're going to go straight down to hell without God. 
and he appealed to them. He says, please, you too can be free like me. It doesn't make sense. You're a prisoner. You have chains and you want me to be free like you? He said, the word of God is not chained. I'm the freest person in the world right now. Hallelujah. Let's go to the next verse. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He said, I love you so much. I really would like to see you in person. But I'm here for the defense of the gospel and you're not running out on me. You're not saying, oh, that Paul, he's been in prison for three months. We sent a letter the first month and the next month we kind of start forgetting about him and by the third, fourth month, whenever God releases Paul, I'm sure he'll get back to us. It wasn't like that with the Philippian church. They were equally reciprocating the love. They loved Paul. And they showed it by what? Their message through the messenger of how much they love him with something tangible. The generous gift. He acknowledged it. And he said, you're giving to me for the gospel's sake. But my God shall supply all your need. Paul is a, he's an apostle. He's a prophet. He's an apostle. So when he says, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory of Christ Jesus, he's dispatching the promise to take effect. They knew that. So he gave what he had, which was the promise from God which cannot fail. They gave what they had, all their love with their faith and said, Epaphroditus, take this to the Apostle Paul. Even though we're poor, we're among the poorest of the churches. Look at the zeal. They valued God. They valued the message of the cross. They valued the Apostle. They valued the fact that they're born again. And they did what they were led to do by the Spirit of God. Let's go to the next verse, please. Verse 9, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. This is love based on truth. People can say, I love you. I think the world about you. But in their heart of hearts, there's no real love. It's an emotional outburst. It's the right thing to do at that time, that particular day. But in the heart, they really don't care that, you know, the other person is suffering. The other person is in need. What can I do to alleviate the suffering? And that too, not in a perfunctory way. In other words, you know what, they have a need and I'm just going to meet it. No, with the heart. The Philippians sent the gift with their hearts. They didn't just make little you know, hearts and all these things and wrap it up in your nice. Their spirit actually went with that. And Paul knew it by the Spirit of God. He was a man of God. So this is what God can do. We live in a society that is stingy, self-oriented. And anytime a person is called to do something, nine times out of ten in the world in which we live, it's always in the back of the mind with all the Christian talk and the smiles, what's in it for me? God is saying, you don't have to live like that. That's not the way you've learned in Christ. The Lord didn't say, well, Father, I'll go down for them, but only those people that for the past seven days have really called on your name. Lord, I'm not dying for those people over there. They're wicked. Lord, and these people who are supposed to be true Jews or true Christians, God, I've noted that they're fighting against each other. They're not very Christ-like. I don't feel like dying for them. I'm not going to. Father, would you show me the very elect, the cream of the crop, the ones who really every day they lay down their lives for me. Those are the people I'm going to die for. Imagine if God did that. None of us would be saved. But look at the generosity in God's heart. His love is so powerful that it's literally like an ocean that cannot be stopped. And God just gives everything he's got. For who? Ungodly, wicked people. Now, when God says, give to me, 
or step up and live self-sacrificially for my cause, did God ever do anything wrong? Never. Was he ever wicked? Never. He's all good. So what would make a person hold back from the all good one? Same stingy, selfish nature. Now within the early church, to be sure, you had these demons go around who look for bodies. In what way? Whisper. He thinks this about you. And the person takes it. They're doing good. And all of a sudden, it's like their eyes glow. You know, like some of the movies. The eyes just change. They become something else. And they don't see the truth. But they see something else. And so they begin to act on the lie that the demon whispered in the ear. She doesn't like you. He doesn't like you. And you know what? (laughs) You're an orphan. You may be part of a family or a church. You're basically an orphan. You're all by yourself. So the demons go and whisper this and the person who receives it begins to act on behalf of the demon and causes schism and division and a lot of heartache. But if we would train ourselves the moment we hear that whisper, no, this is not native to the church. It's foreign. It's coming from outside. I reject it in Jesus' name. We'll be safe. We'll be able to be unified and accomplish God's will. So he says, you got to know the truth. Love has to have truth. That your love may abound, increase. You have a lot of love, but I'm praying that when you think that you have so much love, and you've actually shown it, you do. But I'm taking you even higher. I'm praying that it'll even break the ceiling. Abound even more. So we can always grow in love. Now, in the book of Hebrews, there are a lot of encouraging statements. And within the epistle to the Hebrews, there are also warnings. And one of the warnings is to make sure we don't settle for spiritual immaturity. In other words, say, Lord, I want to abound in love. I can see that whereas I used to be stingy or calculating, I'm really giving from the heart now. My time, my energy, my resources. And I'm not looking for anything in return except a commendation from you that I did the right thing, Lord. So I've really reached another level in my life. But God said there's more. And that's when we have to, with faith, just like he said, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in discernment, all discernment. So we don't stop thinking. We don't stop discerning. We love innocently, fully, generously, but we don't stop remembering the truth to be on guard. It's a wonderful combination that only the Spirit of God can impart to us when we desire it. Let's go to the next verse. That you may approve. Notice, God born again, filled with love, even though physically poor, materially poor, giving generously more in proportion by the grace of God, getting this commendation from the apostle, Apostle Paul. And Paul says, Don't stop growing. Don't stop discerning. You have to approve things that come to you. What does it mean? When somebody's sitting at a desk and there's a memo, a memorandum, or there's a proposal, the one who's in charge has to sign off on it, right? It may go through a chain of command too. It goes to this office, that person's desk, and then it goes to the chief. They have to each approve. In other words, they have to say, this is right. As believers, we are given the job to constantly filter things through the Spirit of God and through the Word of God so that we can approve the things that are excellent, the things that are noble, which means we reject the things that are ignoble and that are rotten, such as gossip, fault-finding, jealousies, whisperings against people. All of this is the, all of these things are the works of Satan. So we're supposed to approve the thoughts that come to our ear gate and our mind. We have the opportunity 
Now imagine if Paul came out and he visited them again. And he says, I've written things very specifically to you. I see that you're still giving, but you're not discerning. What happened? You still have problems. Didn't you see what I wrote? I told you to be on guard and have your love founded on truth. Keep approving things that are only excellent. So we can actually mature and grow. So that you may be sincere, no offense, until the day of Jesus Christ. This afternoon, God is giving us the assurance that He will complete what He started in our lives. We don't have to worry about that. But we do have to be thankful to Him and say, Lord, I've got to keep growing. I don't want to be stunted in my growth, spiritual growth. I don't want to believe the devil's lie that, you know what? This is all you can grow. That's a lie from Satan. In various ways, he'll make us settle down and become what? A recipient. And a person who keeps on taking in whatever is there, but never doing what? Putting it to use and then being used in the army of God. We're one in the army of God. Every soldier has basic training. A person who says, I'd like to sign up for the armed forces, but I don't want to go through basic training. Give me the uniform and the position, the post. It's not possible. So we ought to be excited. God actually has given us a letter, not only to the Philippian church, but for me. Am I growing? Am I growing in spiritual maturity? How do you gauge that? Am I growing in love? Am I kicking out the devil more and more as he's bringing thoughts to me? Am I standing my ground on the truth? Am I discerning what God wants me to do? What is His will? Am I offending God in any way? I don't want to offend Him. I'm told that I can be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what I want. You see? A person who signs up for the army may be told, you know what? You go through the basic training and then once you become that lowest rank, you have various strata of ranks that you can actually climb through, provided you prove yourself, wor- prove yourself worthy. What does that do to the soldiers? They say, oh no. Now I have more work to do. I have to figure out what I want to be. I want to be a sergeant or a major or whatever, you know, general. It's too much work for me. I don't want all those manuals and all those. I'm just content to being in the army. We should not have that kind of attitude in the kingdom of God. We should say, Lord, you have shown me how I can grow. Not to compete, but to be the best I can be. In knowledge, in discernment, in love, abounding more and more. Sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. Imagine standing before God. If the Lord should come suddenly today, everything is cleared out and everybody standing before God. Is it possible for the Lord to look at any one of us and say, you are without offense, you've been sincere. I'm pleased with you. What does the devil do? He brings in the past. That's the number one line of attack. Oh, I don't feel worthy because I did so many outrageously evil things in my life. I I just don't feel like that's me who can stand before God so that he'll tell me you're without offense, you're sincere. Forgetting the power of God. That when my sins were washed away, I became brand new. Hallelujah. It's a new day. Amen. And God has shown me step by step how to grow in that grace. And I, I believed it. I showed diligence. I want diligence. I want to grow. And I found out how to get there. Just like the person who wants to go to the next rank. A police officer who wants to be a sergeant. He's got to take that special test, but he's got to prepare. I know people who thought about becoming sergeants, but they were too afraid. They felt like, I'm not going to make it, so they didn't take the test. How many people who have taken exams, thinking they'd fail, they actually passed and they got it, they were surprised. So the devil's tactic is to make us feel. Don't even bother because of your past. So we knock that down with the truth of God. But my past is past. It's a new day. Hallelujah. I'm brand new in Jesus Christ. Second line of attack. You just didn't act too Christian or Christ-like very recently. Or even today, you don't feel like you deserve this. 
Since de- when did God's grace and His promise depend upon our deserving it as if we can add to it? All we have to do is first of all believe. Believe. And then say, Lord, I'm not looking at every, I'm looking at your word. You said I can be that person. I want to be that person. I want to be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. So our feelings and the whisperings of the devil, our past, even our present, we may have gone through a trial very recently or even now, and we feel like, you know what, I didn't handle this properly. I'm here to tell you this word cuts through all of that and says, but God, amen, but God. Yeah, this is happening and this is how you responded and you're not too keen on walking with God the way you should. But this is what God said. Amen? It takes faith to say, yes, Lord. I'm that person. I will be that person. Let's go to the next verse. Being filled with fruits of right doings. Doing the right thing. Righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. It's not self Working it up. I belong to Jesus so I can love. Jesus is working in me so I can forgive. Before I couldn't. Before I was angry. Before I I was in my own world. But Jesus has opened my eyes and I can really step forward and put my faith into action and forgive the person who did me wrong or the person I think did me wrong. I can have a clean heart. I can help those in need even though, like the Philippian church, I don't have a lot. They had a lot of needs. But they said, we're trusting God. We're going to do our very best. And we believe the word coming through the Apostle Paul. That my God, our God, shall supply. Oh, the supply is open. There's a point at which we step into this realm of faith. Where we understand the divine principle. That the more you give out, that's the rate at which it starts coming back in from heaven. That's how it works. Otherwise, God's not telling the truth. He said, when you give liberally, it'll be given back to you. Good size, good measure. Press down so there's no space there for air. Shaken together so it settles even more. You know what after that? Running over. That's what God said. I will give you with such an abundance that it will exceed what you gave. Now, the principle is we give out a little, a little trickles in. We give out more, the rate becomes more from heaven. But then there's a point at which it goes to another zone altogether. That's the overflow. Where God actually exceeds what we began to give. So giving more liberally activates the divine principle of pouring in from heaven at that rate. But then it increases to an overflow which is beyond the proportion. Do you believe that? That's God's word. Hallelujah. We have actually experienced that in our lives. All of us. All of us. And that lifestyle begins to tell the kingdom of darkness, this person is trouble. Because the more they're pouring out, the more God is giving, and then they're giving even more, and God's giving more, and we're in for trouble. Because you know what? They're showing the love of God, and they are financing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in various ways. So what happens when the gospel grows? The kingdom of God grows. Satan's kingdom is getting shut down. So we see the connection. There are some churches that I know, different denominations, they are connected with schools. And they say, our school is having a dance. False churches. And the kids that are part of that religious school go home with a uh, letter for the parent, every kid, and it says, uh, we are having a dance at the school. And you must pay. Literally, it's part of the agreement. If you're going to keep your kid in school, not only do you have to pay their tuition, but you have to pay for the dance. Because we just feel like having a dance. Everybody pays. 
Now, in what way is that connected to spiritual matters? It's a dead church. They're just building their empire. But when it's a true church, we know that somehow my material resources and my physical resources, God is able to convert that as we hear in the messages to heavenly currency. He's able to change it into something else. Isn't that marvelous? God will metamorphosize your giving and whatever you do, whether it's your time, your talents, or your treasure, God will transform it so that it goes into the heavenly deposit. And here's the beautiful thing. When you have $5 and you give $5, now you're negative $5. Isn't that right? So when you give to God's work, $5, you are negative $5. It's not there anymore. It went to God's work. But in heaven's account, you have another account there. God himself opened up for you. Not only is $5 going there, much more is going there. That's what God says. So also in this realm, there will be a return effect. God promises, because when Paul says, my God shall supply, he's not talking about in heaven. He's not saying, Philippians, when you die and you gave every penny to God's work and they bury you and your bones rot, you're going to be up in the clouds with God and he's going to pour all the money you ever seen in your life. Much more. There's no good. You don't need that money in heaven. He's talking about now. So it has a tremendous effect. You know what God's looking for? Not the amount per se. He's looking for the heart of faith. Those who do it with faith will do it liberally and will do it with love, real affection. So somehow in God's economy, giving translates into fruits of righteousness also because later on he'll say how you showed your love and your faith by ministering to me. These are things that God has laid out very clearly. Now all of this that we take in should spur us on to say this is a win-win. And even though my primary motivation is not, Lord, I'm going to get a return here and there. It's going to overflow. I heard that the rate will increase and then it'll go beyond what I've even given. This is wonderful. I'm in. The first motivation should be, Lord, whatever I stand to lose, I'll gladly do it because you called me to deny myself, take up my cross and just follow you. You've given everything for me, Lord. There's nothing too much I can give to you. This is solid Christian witness in our hearts. That church may have been small, financially poor, maybe a lot of people sick, we don't know. Certainly was not one of these shining examples of prosperity outwardly. They were small and poor, but they were powerful because through them, God was knocking down Satan through the Apostle Paul, as they blessed him. And in their community, God wrote to them, through the Apostle Paul. God was listening, watching what they're doing, and he said, I'm going to bless you. You're going to get a letter from the Apostle Paul. My word. And that word strengthened them even more, to withstand persecution and everything that came against them. Let's go to the next verse, please. But I want you to know, brethren, don't get alarmed, don't get sad. There are real attacks. You may be thinking about your finances, your own health, your loved one. And there are times in which the arrow comes, that fiery arrow from Satan, the fiery dart, it comes so swiftly, almost incognito, it just lands and, and, and you react. And as you react, you feel like you're burning with that fiery dart. But that's when you lift up that shield of faith and it actually is able to quench it right there. Hallelujah. And then it disappears. So as fast as Satan's arrows come, we have to know, not every thought is our own thought. Satan is looking to lodge something very poisonous. And if we don't fight right then and there, we get dragged into his zone of a spell and begin to get weary and we get knocked down. Paul told these people, 
Remember one thing. What's that? The promise. He who has begun a good work in you. It's not a bad work, it's a good work. Shall see it to total fulfillment until God comes back. Do we believe it or not? If we believe the sorrow will be turned into joy, the lackadaisical attitude and the hands that are hanging down and the knees that are out of the way, the legs, the feet that are lame, all of a sudden we get recharged. We'll be able to say, Hallelujah! We'll be able to shout praise God right through that that moment of despair. Every word that these people who are being hounded like criminals, hunted like animals, spat upon and slandered and they just come and take their stuff. No, you can't have a shop here. I'll burn your shop down. Why? You're a Christian. They gave from their heart. And you know what? There's a point at which even the strongest Christian can feel that wearing down because the misses are coming fast. Why do you suppose the misses are coming that fast? Because you're a threat to Satan. That's why. He knows. You've gotten so much of the truth and you have actually broken through so many plateaus that Satan had over you that if he doesn't give everything he's got to try to stop you from praising God, then he's going to lose everything. God says keep going. So they were at a point, I'm sure, because God always gives the word in season, where they were starting to get weary. You know? First it's like, praise God! We're going to give the best we've got! And everybody's rallied together. Woohoo! Aphrodite's take a million dollars to them. I don't know where we're getting it from, but take it! We have no home, no car, no food! Hallelujah! And they're just dancing around. Epaphroditus takes it and this is day one. Hallelujah, Lord, we gave everything we got. And oh, Jesus, we feel great. I'm hungry, but I don't care. And they're excited the next day. Oh, hallelujah, we're so... Hallelujah. Are you happy? Yes. What's all my hallelujah? The next day. Hallelujah. Praise God, I gave everything. Do you know my pocket's empty? Yeah, mine too, so don't complain. Oh, okay. And uh, what do we got for dinner? Nothing. Oh, let's pray. Hallelujah. Seven days later. I hope that Epaphroditus made it because we sure gave everything we got. And I hope it didn't get lost in the sea somewhere. That guy got mugged somewhere. We're in trouble. He don't get it. We don't got it. We all lost. Doubts. You know what? Discouragement. They can say, this Christian life is not what is panned out to be after all. I have a backache. I, I can't work. And I look to her for encouragement. Her face is sour. And my brother here, he's not too happy either. He's talking about his ankles hurting. We have a whole bunch of problems. Where's that Paul at anyway? Paul, pray for us. And you know, regret can start coming in. Who was it that had the bright idea anyway to give everything we got? I told you we should have given a portion. Now we got nothing to eat. I don't think it ended up that way. God would have supplied. But the truth is, they would have gotten, see, when there's a lapse in communication, it's a test. We, we need to remember that. When we don't get what we've been praying for right away, or we don't hear confirmation, or we don't feel the way we did in the beginning, we need to remember God's word is still true. Amen? God's word cannot lie. It will come to pass. That's the kind of faith Elijah had. He was at a place, not a river, not a lake even, not even a pond, it was a brook. And he knew it's going to dry up. He knew it. He didn't, he didn't worry. His faith was, God told me to stay here until the next move. And I trust God so much that I don't care about knowing the future. Because I know the God who holds my future. And soon as it was over, God told him, go to the next place. So it's a test of faith. 
These people would have had that. So you can imagine the joy. They feel the love of God through the apostle. Not just the love letter back, you know, thank you note. Oh, he was firing off missiles against Satan. Amen? A, a small letter of four chapters is full of missiles against the kingdom of darkness that came to try to do what? Discourage them. He said, finances? God's got it. I'm telling you. He will supply everything you need through Christ Jesus. Discouragement? Don't worry. What I'm suffering now, it's working out for a greater victory. In other words, keep going. Don't withdraw. Don't go back. Let's go to the next verse. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard where he was being imprisoned. He's telling them, you don't know all the details. We need to come to a point where we trust God. When we don't know the details, we should not assume that things aren't working. When we have obeyed the Lord, it is working. When we do what God said to do, even when things don't look like anything's happening in our favor or the opposite, we have to remember it is working. God is at work. He says, you don't know something. All you can see is I'm in prison and I'm being mistreated for the gospel. Guess what? The palace is hearing about Jesus because I'm here. Imagine that. If he wasn't there, the palace wouldn't hear about it. Look how God works. So even when we're in the valley, when we're alone, when we're sick, when we're running out of funds, we need to remember God is training me to have my eyes solely on Him. Hallelujah. Only on Him. He's my provider. Doesn't matter the climate, the economy. Doesn't matter how many jobs are not there for me. God's my God. Hallelujah. And He says to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. It's Christ. I'm here on God's mission. All we have to do is link our Link our, link our, um, faith with God's business. As long as we are about our Father's business, everything's fine. It's when we try to make a world of our own with convenience and the things that we want and then go to God and say, Lord, what can I give you? That's when we're in the wrong and things won't work out. But we put God first and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And am I bringing it the way God wants me to bring it? See, the progress is like this. You have a Christian who's born again and they're strictly from the world and they're always thinking and calculating, you know what, I have to make sure I have what I need. Nobody's going to look out for me. That's what my mom told me, my dad told me. You have to look out for yourself. And so they bring that into what? The Christian life. But then the word starts going in. And they say, you know what? I'm supposed to give. And they give a little. And they think, well, I made big progress because I didn't want to give before. Now I want to give. Praise God. But then more of the word goes in. They understand, you know what? I could do better than this. Because I can do better than this for other things in my life. So this must not be a big deal. God is not all that big. No, that's wrong. I need to change this. They give a little more. Then they think, wow, I really graduated like two grades. And God speaks again. And they understand about giving sacrificially. They understand about laying down their lives. For what? Listen to this. They're poor. They need money. They need food. They need protection. What does he say? I'm so excited that from the first day until now, you are with me, fellowshipping with me in the gospel. Can you see a carnal Christian in that crowd who say, gospel, we got saved, we're glad, but don't give us that. We need money right now. And we don't want persecution. We have enough trouble. He didn't make any apology. In fact, he commended them. He said, you've actually sticked your necks out because of the fellowship in the gospel. The reason he was able to say Philippians 1.6 being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you shall see to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because of all of this. So the only people that can lay claim to that promise truly are the ones who are putting their lives on the line in various degrees for the name of Jesus. 
It may not mean prison. It may not be prison. It may not mean losing a job. It may mean, well, I'm looking at what I have and what I have for the week and what I have for the month and God is convicting me that I need to do this, but if I do this, I'm not going to have over here. And that's where the breakthrough comes. But God is convicting me to do this and I have to have faith. I believe and therefore I will act on this. So God will lead everyone specifically where we are. But I'm showing you by the grace of God, the progress of how to see by faith and how we can settle down in a certain part where spiritual maturity literally ceases and with God it's not okay because He wants us to keep growing, get stronger till maybe He'll make you another Apostle Paul and all of Caesar's household will hear the gospel through you. Can you imagine if we don't step up in the small things God shows us now? How when it comes to the gospel going to many people, things we haven't even dreamed of, we couldn't dream of, we'll miss that great divine appointment. It starts small by sacrificially living for God now. Let's go to the next one, please. We're going to wrap up very soon. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, they're saying, bring it on. We know what happened to our leader. He's in prison because he's so outspoken about the gospel. That's not discouraging us. It's making us more on fire. We're going to speak even more than ever. That shows that they weren't afraid of prison. They weren't afraid of losing whatever they were bound to lose. They valued God and they trusted God. Much more bold, being confident of my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So, I can see a division right there too. You can have those who will step up and they begin to be loud for Jesus. But inside there's a lot of fear. There are those who won't dare do that because they don't want any part of that. But there are those who will step up. But as they're doing it, there are doubts. Those missiles and fear. Remember, perfect love casts out fear. He who fears is not made perfect in love. When the love is strong, the word is strong in us. We are stepping up. We're doing what God told us to do. There's going to be a growth. And we won't have fear. Where do you see yourself today as we close? Are you a person in the church, in the house of God? Who says, Lord, if you can't prove to me and show me exactly how you're going to take care of me, don't count on me, Lord. Are you one of those people? Or are you a person that says, Lord, you don't have to prove anything to me. You already proved yourself. I trust you. What you want me to do now, I will do because I believe you. And then are you a person who says, I trust God, but I also have fear. I'm stepping forward to be in this army that's going to take the country. I really feel a change in my heart that I need to be unified with my brothers and sisters in faith that God is going to accomplish this and I'm an integral part of it. God's counting on me. Imagine that one soldier, even the one who doesn't even enter combat in the sense that they're not involved in that actual gunfire. They're armed. But you know what they are? That person is a lookout person. If the lookout person or the communication person has got the phone, everybody's in heavy fire, artillery. Artillery. And he's over there and he thinks, I'm not part of the action. I don't even feel like a soldier. I don't even feel like it matters. You know, I just have a phone and I just, he's not seeing the big picture. To know that whatever position God has given us is a vital position because just like Paul would say in the other epistles, the hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you and vice versa, right? Every part is important. But do you know who you are? Second, do you know what your commander-in-chief called you to do? And third, are you, did you do it? Are you doing it? And I would say, one more qualifier. If in fact, you know who you're called to be, you know your identity in the army of God, God has given you an assignment, did you carry it out while everybody else is carrying out their assignment? Or did you modify the assignment? Or did you say, I'll do a makeup assignment later? When God says it's got to get done now, there's a deadline. 
Are you doing the assignment that he's called you to do? Exactly like he told you. And are you doing it with faith or with regret and fear? So there's a way to do God's work. God says, go for it with all you've got, with full cheer. Everything you've got, with faith, with victory, knowing you're the type of people that God is speaking to today. He who began, when you got born again, that wonderful day in your life, that monumental, momentous day, the day you became born again into the family of God, God says, I'm going to carry you, lead you all the way to the end, where I will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you faithful over much. It all predicates on whether we have faith or not. If I don't believe God is talking to me, that I'm the one with the talent and God is going to ask me, regardless of my gender, regardless of my race, regardless of my position in this life, regardless of my age, God is talking to me because the word is to me. And I'm the only one who can answer him. God's not going to look at my age, my gender, my occupation, my financial status, none of that. He's just going to know. He just wants to know. I was talking to you. Did you understand what I told you to do? Did you do it? Based on that, God will say, either depart from me, or well done, you did it. Come in. Blessed be God's name. Without going any further, in this book, this epistle, this letter, Hebrews 6, we're not going to go there now, but just, I want you to show the parallel here that God showed me as I was looking at it. Once he said, preach on it, I was thinking about it, praying. And then, just like that promise, that he will finish what he started in you, before and after, you have indicators saying to whom that promise belongs, not any Christian. You see? A lot of people, they pick and choose promises. They have no idea what God requires to inherit it. And we've seen what what it requires here. In Hebrews 6, it says about apostasy, falling away. But our focus is not that. We've spoken about that before. Very clear dangers and warnings for those who think they're okay when they're not obedient to God. But in that same chapter, it says, even though the earth or the land that drinks in the rain that comes often upon it, and only produces thorns and briars, is near cursing and it's going to be burned. Paul says, but we are persuaded, whoever writes the epistle, we are persuaded of better things than that of you. Now you know how many people I know, theologians, pastors, commentators, it's a shame. They take that and they say, oh, we're off the hook, see? He ended on a good note. Even though it was very scary that you're going to be burned and if you apostatize, which means defect and go back to the world, your old ways. He says, actually, we're persuaded of better things. But they forget. They forget. Similar to the people in Philippi. Those Hebrews who are scattered, possibly in Rome, one of the worst places to be a Christian. Because you're right there near the empire headquarters where they were not kind to Christians. They killed Peter, they killed Paul, and a whole bunch of other people. But they're alive, of course, in heaven rejoicing. God's work got done. But the Hebrews were ones who willingly suffered loss. If you look at chapter 6, you'll see that. They willingly stuck their necks out for the gospel too. To them, Paul says, we're persuaded of better things than being cursed. You're blessed. What is he saying? Just like to the Philippine church. Don't let up. Keep going full force. Keep doing the right thing. Keep fearing God, loving God, rejoice in God. Don't be discouraged. God will complete what He's begun. We will have the victory. The gospel will spread out even further. I will bless you in this life and in the life to come. Very, very key thing to note. The promises are for those people. The promises are the people who are serious about following God with everything they have now. Refuse to look at their present circumstances. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? When you're going through illness, when you're going through battles, when you're going through loss, when you're going through persecution, 
when you're going through discouragement, when you're going through all these things, there are people who've learned this present suffering I count almost as nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that's to be revealed in Christ Jesus. Eyes have been become full of faith. I have a reward. I have a, a mission. God is calling me to do what He's called me to do. 